No matter how loud I yelled, I could not get the resources I needed to support the Suprema launch in Athens. We were stretched far too thin. And that was Bob Curtis from Chasisco, the same Chasisco that had pulled off a seamless launch for the 1997 Suprema and the 1999 Responsa. What changed? Let's rewind. Welcome back, friends. This is Rachel Morgan, and you're listening to Date My Supplier, the SRM podcast. This episode, we delve deeper into the Toyota chassis saga, peering into the challenging world of Chassisco. After Chassisco's 1997 Suprema launch, Toyota, the behemoth of automotive industry, handed Chassisco the reins for another ambitious project, the 1999 Responsa. Chassisco was expanding, opening a new plant in St. Louis, Missouri, introducing 50 robots to the line. The Responsa launch turned out to be a success. Parts sourced initially from Japan were transferred to Chassisco and then on to North American suppliers. This success story solidified Toyota's belief that Chassisco could handle increasing responsibilities. And so, Toyota gave Chassisco project management responsibilities for the 2003 Suprema. You know how in relationships, as you get more comfortable, you start giving your partner more responsibilities? And then sometimes, they drop the proverbial ball and you're left wondering, what just happened? Well, this isn't much different. For the 2003 Suprema, some folks within Toyota had concerns. Carol Kinsley from TMMGA Production Control explained that the complexities Chasisco was facing were much higher. Lucy Martinez from TMMGA concurred, expressing her surprise at Toyota's decision. Now imagine the scene. You've got all these parts coming in by the truckload, being unloaded, and then entering one of two main lines, either for assembly or to feeder stations. It was quite the spectacle, and to manage it, Chasisco would need to demonstrate a full range of skills. The real kicker? Problem-solving was essential. But problems did arise, and oh, they were significant. Over time, Kinsley came to a realization. Chasisco lacked project management capabilities. And it was not just Kinsley who held this view. Lucy Martinez added her voice to the mix, emphasizing Chasisco's struggle to meet Toyota's requirements due to their lack of process support. It was like watching someone trying to swim without knowing how to float. All the kicking and splashing, but not going anywhere. Lucy Martinez said. According to Walt Bernstein, the gap between Chasico's capabilities and Toyota's expectations was vast, and it became clear only when they visited Chasisco's suppliers and saw the trouble firsthand. By then, it was quite late. Now picture this. The pressure is building. Chasisco's internal challenges are coming to light. First, the decentralization of their global development organization in 2000 had split up experienced people, diluting their ability to support new launches. Second, Chasisco was juggling an unprecedented number of new launches for a wide range of customers globally. And that's when Carol Kinsley turned to Walt Bernstein and said, Toyota stringently follows a communications policy of bad news first. We want to identify problems early in the process, but the problems in the second tier had not been made visible to us. We discovered them much too late. But why the concern, you ask? Well, the 2003 Suprema's rear suspension cradle was more complex, and it involved managing multiple second-tier suppliers and logistics. Carol Kinsley, then in TMMGA Production Control, shared her apprehension. I assumed Chasico would have competence in project management, and I treated them that way. 
but over time I realized they did not have this capacity. They had no system for tracking parts. We created a parts tracking system for them once we observed this deficiency, she said. A deficiency in tracking parts, misaligned organizational structures, and lack of project management skills. Imagine a sports team with star players but no game plan. Now how do you think that's going to play out? But there's always two sides to a story. Now, let's switch gears for a moment and look at things from Chassico's perspective. John Roach, Chassico's global director of manufacturing engineering, shared his point of view, saying that, given the successful launches of the 1997 Suprema and the 1999 Responsa, Toyota assumed that we could handle even more responsibility for the 2003 Suprema launch. What they did not see, however, were two forces internal to Chassico that hurt us significantly in the 2003 Suprema launch. Those forces were the decentralization of Chessisco's global development organization and an unprecedented number of new launches across the globe. A company stretched too thin, struggling to juggle its multiple commitments. What's more? Add into the mix aggressive pricing targets set by Toyota, which led to accepting low bids from parts suppliers. Now who was at fault here? Did Chassico bite off more than it could chew, or did Toyota underestimate the challenges of the project? And when, Chassisco tried to get some leeway, some breathing space. Walt Bernstein from Chassisco took the stage lamenting, saying, I even went to the Toyota engineers and asked them for some design relief. If they would have let us change the attachment methods, it would have simplified the assembly process. But, the Toyota engineers were adamant that their new design, with many rivet attachments, was a lower cost process, and that cost was paramount. After years of working together, Toyota switched up the engineering team. Walt Bernstein, sounding frustrated, continued saying, Adding to this challenge was the fact that Toyota rotated the engineering team we had developed relations with. I guess they thought that we had progressed and we no longer needed their most seasoned engineering support. So, what were the repercussions of this change? Well, according to Richard Roberts, the Athens plant quality manager, at the plant level, Chassisco did not have the capabilities or infrastructure to meet the requirements of the new launch, but everyone on the Toyota side as well as the Chassisco side was very slow to realize this. Now, this next part is key. Toyota introduced the Technical Instruction Sheet, or TIS, which outlined several pages of detailed technical requirements for every part, and this was Chassisco's first exposure to it. Richard Roberts admitted saying, We thought we could do it, but we couldn't. Other Chassisco plants that served other Chassisco customers managed the wide range of activities that we were being asked to do. But Toyota's requirements were far more stringent. Adding fuel to the fire, the increased automation in the welding processes for the new Suprema posed yet another challenge. In the manual welding processes used for the 1997 Suprema cradles, a weld operator could visually inspect his work in real time. But with the new automated welding robots used for the 2003 Suprema cradles, there was no such real-time closed-loop feedback system. To get a bigger picture of the challenges Chasico faced, Ben Berkner, Chasico's vice president of business development, revealed that the aggressive target prices that Toyota set for the new rear suspension cradles compounded the project's problems. Chasico erred in even trying to reach the price that was set. Chassico chose one Georgia supplier that had never made structural auto parts, did not understand the durability required, and had only produced simple, lightweight parts for computers and automotive interiors. Unfortunately, Chassisco did not communicate to Toyota that they did not think the price was realistic. 
and the price they paid for this silence was indeed heavy. Ben Berkner said, We made errors in cost estimation, dramatically underestimating our logistics costs. Perhaps our biggest mistake was that we did not communicate to Toyota that we did not think the price was realistic. Walt Bernstein spent the entire summer of 2003 traveling to Chassisco suppliers in the Midwest, trying to set up and debug the stamping processes for the parts to be sent to Athens. Core to the practice of TPS was Genchi Genbutsu, or go to the source and see things yourself. However, Chassisco had not visited its suppliers. But despite all odds, the Suprema launched on time in September of 2003, albeit with barely 60% of the target production rate. The first year of Suprema production was a tough one. Scrap rates were high, parts quality was poor, and parts inventories were subjected to a great deal of inspection. Employees put in a great deal of overtime, and the stress was palpable. According to Walt Bernstein, the first year of Suprema production was extremely stressful for all involved. In today's Takeaway segment, we delve deep into the case study of Toyota's challenging journey with Chassisco during the launch of the 2003 Suprema for lessons learned. So, grab your notebooks, and let's dive into the analysis. The Toyota Chassisco partnership during the 2003 Suprema launch presents us with a fascinating case study in Supplier Relationship Management, SRM. This case highlights several crucial aspects that can make or break a supplier relationship, particularly during complex and high-stakes projects. First and foremost, the issue of aligning expectations and capabilities comes to the forefront. Toyota believed that Chassisco had the necessary project management skills and resources to handle the increased responsibilities of the 2003 Suprema launch. However, as the project progressed, it became clear that Chassisco was ill-equipped to meet Toyota's stringent requirements, lacking essential systems and processes for tracking parts, project management, and problem-solving. This misalignment between Toyota's expectations and Chassisco's capabilities illustrates the importance of thorough evaluation and communication when assigning responsibilities to suppliers. It serves as a reminder that assumptions and past successes should not overshadow a careful assessment of a supplier's current capabilities and readiness for new challenges. Next, the case study highlights the significance of effective communication and collaboration between the buyer and supplier. Chassisco's struggles in meeting the technical requirements outlined in the Technical Instruction Sheet, TIS, reveal the need for clearer communication channels and a shared understanding of expectations. Toyota's stringent communications policy of bad news first aims to identify problems early in the process, but the lack of visibility into Chassisco's second-tier challenges points to communication gaps that hindered timely problem-solving. Furthermore, the case study underscores the importance of supply chain visibility and supplier auditing. Chassisco's lack of visits to its suppliers, limited skilled resources for auditing, and a failure to practice Genchi Genbutsu, going to the source, resulted in discovering significant problems too late in the process. Effective supply chain management requires a proactive approach, ensuring regular audits, and maintaining a robust system of checks and balances. Another key lesson from this case study is the impact of pricing pressures on supplier performance. For example, Chassico's decision to accept low bids from parts suppliers, coupled with underestimating logistics costs. This decision had severe implications for parts quality and delivery frequency. 
This highlights the delicate balance between cost optimization and maintaining quality standards in supplier relationships. Suppliers should have the freedom to express concerns about unrealistic pricing targets to avoid compromising quality and delivery performance. Lastly, the case study emphasizes the role of executive sponsorship in supplier relationships. The absence of strong executive support within Chassisco led to resource constraints and insufficient processes for problem resolution. A dedicated executive sponsor could have driven the necessary changes, ensured adequate staffing, and provided the necessary authority to address issues promptly. In conclusion, the Toyota Chassisco case study during the 2003 Suprema launch offers valuable insights into supplier relationship management. It highlights the importance of aligning expectations and capabilities, effective communication and collaboration, supply chain visibility, pricing considerations, and the need for strong executive sponsorship. By learning from these lessons, organizations can cultivate robust and successful supplier relationships, ultimately leading to better outcomes and sustained business success. Remember, the key to successful supplier relationships lies in continuous learning and improvement. Before we wrap up this episode of Date My Supplier, let me leave you with a sneak preview of what's to come in our next exciting installment. We dive into the captivating ecosystem of the world's most innovative company, Apple. We'll be exploring the critical role of the executive sponsor in supplier relationships. The brilliant executive sponsor behind Apple's groundbreaking partnership with their key suppliers. Together they embarked on a journey filled with challenges, triumphs, and unexpected twists. What can I say? It's complicated. Join us as we unravel the secrets behind Apple's supplier relationship management success. So be sure to tune in next time for an episode that will leave you on the edge of your seat. This is Rachel Morgan, signing off for now. Stay curious and keep those supplier relationships thriving. If you enjoyed today's episode and want to stay updated on the latest news about our upcoming series, make sure to follow Date My Supplier podcasts on LinkedIn and Twitter. You'll be the first to know about our new releases and get exclusive behind-the-scenes insights. Rate us, share us, leave a comment and tell a friend about us. Or simply get in touch with the producer of the show, Simba, on LinkedIn. Grab a copy of his masterpiece, the SRM Handbook, Date My Supplier on Take-A-Lot and Amazon Worldwide. Thank you.